Welcome to Calvary. I'm Carter and I'm the worship and tech director here. We want this to be a place where you can come and worship, get to know God and connect with our community. If you're new here, we can't wait to get to know you. Feel free to message us on social media or text the word hello to 587-323-1199 and we'll respond right back. This is a great first step to joining our church family. We also want you to experience daily personal encounters with God, discipleship, and community. If you want to learn more about our culture here, deepen your relationship with God, and find a small group that you can really connect with, we'd encourage you to talk to one of our volunteers or staff after the service. So this morning we're continuing our study in the book of Acts, and in particular these last few weeks we've been looking at the enemy strategies to try and stop the incredible things that God is doing through his church. So we've looked at countering the enemy through uh, during persecution, counting the enemy through God opportunities, through community, and finally, countering the enemy in our hearts. We've seen that when Satan can't defeat the church from without, he often attempts to defeat it from within. And last week we saw how he attempted to gain a foothold through sin in some believers' lives. It is one of the most surprising and shocking stories from the New Testament as two people drop dead after lying to the Holy Spirit and to the apostles. If you're new here today or you didn't hear last week's message, I'd encourage you to do so. But where in the world do you go when two members of your congregation just drop dead? I mean, really, would anyone be at church the next week? How do you move forward as a community of believers? As serious and sobering as it was, the results of what happened afterwards are incredible. Acts 5.11 says, Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. So if the author uses the terms great fear here, how is this a good thing? Well, fear here actually means a greater reverence of, a deeper respect for God's standard of holiness. And throughout Scripture, there are incredible benefits that come from having that deep respect for God. We have a handout for you listing all of the promises that come as a result of respecting and having a deep Reverential, reverential fear of God. I'd encourage you to grab one on the way out if you didn't already get one. So, the two who dropped dead were Ananias and Sapphira. Sapphira means beautiful in Aramaic. And Ananias means God is gracious in Hebrew. Their names seem like a contradiction to what has happened. But in fact, the beauty and gracious mercy of God are seen in him, not only protecting the church from without, but protecting the church from itself. 
So what happens as a a result of the apostles living holy, dedicated, and God-fearing lives? Well, let's read and, and see. So in Acts 5, it continues. It says, The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. The title of my message this morning is Countering the Enemy Through the Miraculous. Let's pray. Father, we just Thank you that you anoint your word this morning, God, and you help us to hear. You give us ears to hear what your Holy Spirit is saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So what happens in you when you hear miraculous signs and wonders? Do you think, well, that was then and this is now. He did it for them, but... God doesn't do those things today, and he certainly couldn't or wouldn't do them through me. And so you just kind of skip these scriptures because they make us uncomfortable and we move on. Well, let's explore this topic and see if it's as far out there as we sometimes think. So I'd invite you to come on this journey with me And let's see what this may look like if God wants to use us, to use you and me to bring glory to himself and to bring his love to a hurting world. So let's begin with verse 12. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. So it's frustrating for some that it's not clearly spelled out what these miraculous signs and wonders were, but we presume from other places in Acts and the Gospels that they were healing and deliverance from demons and supernatural uh, provision, etc. And it was just a few verses before in chapter 4 where the apostles had prayed that through them... God would stretch out his hand with healing power and that he would have many miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of Jesus. Now, in chapter 5, we see God did exactly what they prayed for, but but this increased power takes place only after he purifies his church. So, in this coming section, we see God countering the enemy through the miraculous in several ways. The first is miraculous unity. Verse 12 says, and all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. I love how this is translated slightly different in another version. 
it says they were all together in Solomon's porch and they all had the same purpose. They all had the same purpose. Because you see selfish hearts and stubborn minds and distinct differences in us as individuals can be impossible to move beyond sometimes. So how incredible is this display of the Holy Spirit's power that they are together in unity and purpose? Psalms 133 says that when we as believers are together in unity, that God pours out his blessing, pours out his spirit. Next, we see God was countering the enemy through the miraculous with increased commitment and growth. Verse 13 said, but no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. But then verse 14 seems to contradict that and says more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. Crowds of both men and women. So suddenly, because of what had happened to Ananias and Sapphira, there was no longer such a thing as a casual Christian looking like heaven on Sunday but living like hell on Monday. People knew there was a cost and that it was serious to be a Christ follower and many, many more became believers. Why? Because people are looking for the real, genuine thing that has the power to bring actual, sustainable change in their lives. The next way God was countering the was countering the enemy through the miraculous was greater faith and expectation. Verse 15, as a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as they went by. That's kind of crazy. That's kind of wild. But their faith, their expectation was so high that they believed that even coming in contact with Peter's shadow could bring healing. There is no precedence for this in the Bible, and it seems so far-fetched. But is it really? We know of a woman who was healed of an incurable blood disease by touching Jesus' clothing. There was nothing magical about the material. It hadn't been washed in Tide miracle healing detergent. But rather, it was simply a connecting point for her faith to be released. So similarly, there was no power in Peter's shadow, but it also served as a connecting point for their faith. In Acts 19, we'll see handkerchiefs and towels that come in contact with Paul that are also used to heal and deliver. I don't know about you, but it's often very challenging to our belief systems when the Holy Spirit 
moves in power in ways that we can't find in Scripture. But when that happens, because throughout history, and even today it does, we need to look at the fruit of what God is doing. So number one, even though it might not be in Scripture, does it contradict the Word of God, which is our standard and the test for all things? Number two, are they healed and drawn closer to God? And number three, does God get the glory? I tell you what, it is scary and completely different and not okay when man gets the glory that is intended for God. The next way God was countering the enemy through the miraculous was healing and deliverance. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem bringing in their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. Every person brought to them who was held captive by sickness or demonic torment was healed. What an incredible testimony to uh, countering the enemy. God had obviously blessed a purified church with great spiritual power. God can do greater things in and throughout our lives as well when we live right before him. Finally, God was countering the enemy through the miraculous by the spread of the gospel. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem. And another translation says, people came from all the towns around Jerusalem. Just as Jesus had told them, they would take the gospel from Jerusalem out into the surrounding regions and beyond. We see the testimony of Jesus and the incredible things he's doing and the gospel beginning to spread here. All of these incredible, miraculous results came from their increased holiness and purity and fear and reverence for God. And these results were used to strike blows against and challenge and counter Satan's kingdom. So, that was great then, but what about now? What about you and I as agents of God's power and love of grace? What does the miraculous look like today, and how do we counter the enemy with it? So several weeks ago, Pastor Barry shared the two views of miracles found in the church today. The first is that they ceased after the apostles, and the second is that they continue to this day. I find it interesting that the great evangelists from previous centuries, including John Wesley or Smith Wigglesworth, didn't get the memo that apparently these events had ceased as they continued and saw unbelievable and documented healings 
and the dead raised. As a matter of fact, it was recorded that Wigglesworth prayed for 23 deceased individuals that came back to life. And in very recent times, we can look at pastors or evangelists like Reinhard Bonnke before his passing or Pastor Adeboye from Nigeria and even a doctor here in Canada and many others that have also seen blind eyes open, the lame walking and the dead raised. I'm not sure what else to call them but miracles. I believe that demonstrations of God's power like this are so significant in showing his love and affirming the preaching of Jesus and his resurrection to an unbelieving world. We can all seek to be used by God in similar ways as Jesus himself told us that these signs would follow those who believe. Casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead and more. I'm convinced that we are to push hard into the Holy Spirit so that we are seeing incredible signs and wonders so that every other religion and the atheists and the agnostics see the true resurrection power of God and then they can't deny that Jesus is real. If God has given you the faith and the boldness to do that, then pray like the apostles prayed in Acts 4.30. God, show your power by healing, performing miracles, and doing amazing things through the power and name of your holy servant, Jesus. There will be those who have the faith and the gifts for the big miracles that cause the world to go, wow. And we've seen miraculous healings here in our community. Cancer and other sicknesses and diseases healed. We've seen houses and people cleansed from demonic influence and and oppression. So we keep going. But did you know that God also reveals his power and love through everyday ordinary demonstrations that are equally significant and we can all get on board with as a starting point. You don't need a gift of healing or miracles for these, just a little faith and some courage. I think it's fair to say that I don't believe anyone here except maybe our fiery Nigerians have seen the dead raised. The closest thing to the dead being raised is probably some of you parents of teenagers managing to get your kids out of bed in the morning, right? But for most of us, what do everyday, ordinary miracles look like? And how can we partner with heaven for these God moments? My wife and I have seen divine interventions like God providing us when a, with a mortgage when I was in between jobs. Who does that? We've seen supernatural provision of a vehicle. We've seen our prayers answered as God brought a family member back from afar and back into relationship. 
We've seen healing from MS. I saw a construction co-worker come to Christ. And many, many times I had divine, unexplainable protection on work sites and different jobs where I could have died. You'd think I was actually a cat with nine lives because of how many times I was supernaturally protected. Are all of these miracles, are they God moments? Are they supernatural interventions? Are they divine coincidences? I don't know, but do they leave us feeling like we've been touched by heaven, by God's love? Absolutely they do. This everyday, ordinary, miracle territory is where most of us live. It's where we can get on board with and be used by God to help demonstrate his power and love and hope to a hurting world and counter counter the enemy's destruction in people's lives. So, how do we even begin? Number one, expand our definition of a miracle. What if we define a miracle not just as an unbelievable sign and wonder, but also as an event or experience God orchestrates through us to show his incredible love to someone. Did you catch that? What if we don't just define it as an unbelievable sign and wonder, but we also define it as an event or experience that God orchestrates through us to show his incredible love to someone? What if the result of this God moment or divine intervention is that the individual hears a message from him that says, I'm here. I care about you. I want to show you my love and do for you what you cannot do for yourself. It was around 2006 or 2007 when God laid on our heart to give away our minivan to a single mom at Millwood Christian School who didn't have a vehicle. A close friend of ours who was a teacher there at the time told us about her. And it was a scary, huge step of faith for us. But in the end, we were obedient, and to her, this was a miracle, a God moment for her and her children, as he had heard their prayer and divinely provided for them in a way they couldn't do themselves. Number two, realize God is looking for messengers or delivery agents Isaiah 6.8 says, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? Sometimes it's as simple as praying with someone. We were at a pastor's conference in Banff several years ago, and we asked two different servers at two different restaurants if we could pray for them. The first girl was... Um, <clears throat> Feeling lost in Banff, she, she wasn't comfortable with the morals and the standards and the lifestyles that surrounded her and that she encountered on a daily basis, and she was feeling very weak in her faith. 
Our prayer for strength and wisdom for her ministered to her in such a significant way. And she told us it came at just the right time. The second server was a young lady with some incredible personal struggles. As we prayed for her, she just started weeping as she sensed God's love in such a real and tangible way. We blessed her with gift cards we had and a generous tip, and she told us how loved she felt. We were simply available to be messengers of God's love and to counter the enemy's lies and attacks on her life. I don't know how, I don't know about you, but I'd say both of those were everyday miracles where the person heard and felt how much God loved and cared for them. Number three, ask God to use us and be available. The rest of Isaiah 6 says, I, Isaiah said, here I am, send me. What if every morning we prayed and said, God, use me to bring a demonstration of your love to someone today? What if we intentionally prayed that? I specifically remember praying this one morning last winter. Later that day, I found myself with one of my favorite hobbies at the store looking through clearance racks for great deals on clothes And while doing so, a homeless gentleman approached me directly, pushing a cart with his dirty coat in it. He was carrying some heavy sweatpants on a hanger that were normally like $35 or $40, but they were clearing for just $10. In his broken, stuttered speech, he asked me if I could buy them for him. He had no ability to buy them for himself. I immediately recognized an opportunity to be an agent of God's love and grace, and I said, absolutely. Can I buy you two pairs or a hoodie or some food as well? He firmly declined, and we walked to the front checkout where I paid for his sweats. And then he looked me in the eyes nodded in thanks, and was on his way. I had prayed and was used by God to meet a basic $10 need for someone who wasn't able to do so themselves. This sounds like an everyday miracle that any of us could walk into. Number four, have a little faith big expectations, and take risks. Jesus says it takes just the smallest amount of faith to have huge mountain-moving expectations and see God answer our prayers. However, it also takes risks, which, let's face it, most of us hate. We live in such a risk-adverse culture with safety first as its mantra. But Jesus tells us to lay down our comfort, 
our safety and our security for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of being instruments, messengers, agents of his love. It was just a few days before Christmas and I was picking something up from Pizza Hut takeout that evening and I noticed a young man rummaging through the garbage just outside the nearby dollar store. I took a risk and I walked over to him and I asked him if he was hungry. I found out his name was Steve and he was estranged, separated from his family. He said he was really hungry, and so I told him I'd buy him whatever pizza he wanted and a two-liter bottle of pop. So I took him inside, and I paid for his meal, and I asked the girl to make sure he was taken care of. I prayed for him and told him exactly where our church was located, and I invited him to our Christmas Eve service. I don't know whether he attended or not, But God had allowed me a small opportunity to share his love with a stranger in a tangible way. But you know what I found most touching about that experience was the heartfelt thank you that the young employee expressed when she realized the love that had been shown to this young man. It can be really simple. Several years, several years ago, several weeks ago, I shared a message on countering the enemy through God opportunities. In this message, I laid out how we can all be used by God to counter the enemy in people's lives using three very simple steps. Listen, invest, invite. Listen with our hearts to the hearts of those God puts us in contact with. Invest in people's lives in short-term or long-term relationships and then invite them into relationship and community. Pastor Bev is a master of this. He carries these tools that... He carries these tools. There we go. He carries these tools that he uses to do all three of these things. He has cards for the chosen TV series for those who have questions about life after death, cards to build bridges with the indigenous community, cards for the care closet, eight different cards in total. You should see how thick his wallet is. But seriously, if you aren't smooth or comfortable sharing with others, you could also use tools like this. They're available for you free to use. Listen, invest, invite. So Bev is prepared to be God's agent, God's messenger, and then he engages his Hindu hairstylist, people at the grocery store, in a restaurant, and he listens with his heart to their heart. He invests in short-term or longer-term relationships like intentionally always going to the same hairstylist. And then he uses the tools God has given him to invite them to engage through watching or reading or intending. I don't know if you've had the privilege of meeting Stella. She's 
part of our community. She's one of our precious grandmas here with a giant heart who takes a little faith and big expectations and risks in meeting strangers who are mostly new immigrants or refugees. They're almost never Christians and she listens to their stories. She invests in their lives by just having them come into her home. And then she invites them into community to meet others, to a small group or to church. On multiple occasions, Stella and I have prayed for jobs for these individuals and have seen God miraculously come through every time for them. All it takes is a little faith, big expectations, and a willingness to take risks. Are we ready to ask God to be his agents, his messengers, to counter the, en the enemy in people's lives through his love and through his power? I want to encourage you that you are not on your own. You can do this. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Father, I thank you that through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, you give us the ability to hear the Holy Spirit and then in turn hear and listen to people's hearts. God, those encounters you give us on the work site or on the job or in our daily activities at the, at the hairstylist like Pastor Bev or getting our nails done or in the grocery store or wherever, God, you may cause us to encounter people who are desperate for a miracle, desperate to feel and know that God has seen them and heard them and loves them. So God, use us to listen, to invest, invite. This morning, we say, God, we're willing. We're willing to be used by you. And if you're not quite sure yet about all of this, that's okay. God is patient. But for those of us who are willing to do so, we say, come Holy Spirit, fill us and use us as agents and messengers of your love and your power to counter the enemy in people's lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.